Welcome to Above the Horizontal. I'm your host, Bo Nicholson. I'm joined by Miles Stebman, Daniel Friend, and Kieran Gibson. And Miles has just joined us from the beach, obviously, within your LGA and your radius. Miles, how's the weather down there at the moment? Uh, it's freezing out today. Um, a, a very empty beach, but um, glorious nonetheless. I like to get into the water when it's nice and cold. Kieran, it's been a bit uh colder than usual up here as well in brisbane very windy day today how's how's your day been yeah pretty good um i've been going for a swim the last few days including today so that's been nice haven't been able to kick but uh just pull with my arms although yeah it was quite cold this morning as you said with that wind it was howling most of the day bloody hell you guys getting up at six in the morning friendy you've talked about that as well daniel friend uh i suppose you you woke up with the sun at that time this morning as well (laughs) Yeah, I'm an old boy now, so early riser. Um, may have to, may or may not have to get up in the middle of the night sometimes as well. So yeah, but I'm lo- loving the early risers and um, very happy. I'm on holidays at the moment too. <laughs> Unfortunately, you can't do much on those holidays, I guess, apart from exercise and and do excellent rugby league podcasts. I suppose exactly right. <laughs> And to come up with some excellent uh, bold predictions, uh, you and I had a very similar bold prediction to start off with, Friendy. Uh, you said the Panthers would win by 20 points or more. I suggested they would win by 30 or more before I changed my bold prediction. We were both pretty off base on that one. The Eels put up a pretty good fight. Yeah, they did. It's the toughest I've seen them play in a long time, especially in a really big game. Um, I, I do think they are still growing under Brad Arthur. I think they're just that one absolute megastar away from... Uh, yeah, taking out a premiership that they they really, really want. Um, it's been a long time for Parramatta, but they did really well in their last finals appearance, which was the other night. Sometimes their forwards get a bit of a, a tough rap on this podcast, but I thought RCG, <laughs> uh, Paulo, uh, I know that's a bad word to say sometimes around here, but Paulo did turn <laughs> up, RCG turned up, Nathan Brown was injured for a bit of it, I think, but uh, there was a pretty tough game, so uh, well done to the Eels, it's unfortunate to see you bow out after playing so well. More on that very, very soon. Miles, your bold prediction was that Victor Radley would cost the Roosters the game through a a showing of poor discipline. Now, obviously, the Seagulls pumped the Roosters, so that wasn't really the case. But did you find anything that sort of fit your criteria for Victor Radley? Because if you didn't, I may have. I did not. So, I'll I'll leave this one to you, Bo. Well, so it was during a scrum, it was about 25 minutes left and they're losing by about 30 points. So it doesn't quite qualify for what you're talking about, <laughs> losing the game. But he did set, in, after a scrum, they sort of uh, disperse and he's lined up in the front row and next to Sean Kepi. And he puts one on Sean Kepi's chin, like a punch, dead set, and nothing happens. No charges, <laughs> no, like... Um, any sort of comeuppance whatsoever, and the Seagulls, of course, go on to win comfortably anyway. Sean Kepi's held back by a teammate to prevent him probably ending up in the sin bin, but Victor Radley should have copped 10 for that. He dead set punched a bloke in the cheek. So I reckon I reckon your Volpression kind of came true, a bit of a Victor Radley brain explosion. <laughs> I would like to see, because Andrew Johns is one of Victor's biggest defenders about how it's, oh, how do you, you can't, you can't disappear. Oh, it's, it's all the, the style of the game. I'd love to see him defend this one. <laughs> I'd love to see him. I was, I've got a punishments. theory. Go on. I thought it's, like the, it. it's the Jared Wallace rule. Sometimes they just deserve it. <laughs> so Sean Kepi. We, we're yeah. calling you out, Sean Kepi. You deserved it. Yeah. Good player, but deserved it. 
Well, I wouldn't be surprised <laughs> if he actually wanted to test um, Radley's limits himself just to see, uh, potentially for a future final where, uh, you know, the score might be a little bit closer, just uh, what it takes to get Victor to uh, give you one on the chin so that, you know, say it's 12 months' time, the two teams are playing in a final as well. Maybe it's a preliminary final. Um, you know, he he wants to know Victor's limits so he can maybe get himself a penalty late in the game and and make my uh, bold come true twelve months later. So kind of like a talk shit get hit situation, um, and he may have <laughs> may have been talking some shit to Victor Riley. Who knows? But I think I'll give you that one, Miles. My my bold prediction was that both Panthers starting back rowers, edge back rowers, would score a try. So as as it were and has been for like the last five weeks or so, Kikau started off the bench. So the starting back rowers were Liam Martin and Kurt Capel. I needed both of them to score a try. Kurt Capewell scored from a Nathan Cleary grubber, but no try to Liam Martin or Kikau for that matter. So I half got mine. Kieran, your bold prediction was that five of the eight starting front rowers would make 140 metres plus. Now, as I said, uh, I think you said that you needed, was it three out of the four to do it uh, in that final game? And those guys did turn up. Did they get the job done for you? Uh, no, I think it was I think it was RCG and Fisher Harris from memory that got 140, but Leota and uh, uh, Paulo just missed out, so I got four. Oh, sorry, no, no, three of those. I'm pretty sure because I think I ended up with four out of five front rowers. So three of them in the the second game got the 140 meters, but I didn't get a, a fourth to make it um, f- uh, five out of eight. I'm guessing that, like, Miles Stebbins, you're just thinking bloody Paulo, letting Kieran Gibson down, <laughs> bloody Paulo. Nah, I'm Always part nice. of the uh, appreciation club for Paulo. <laughs> like Christopher Waring, the chairman of that club. Uh, what did we What did we learn last week, gents? I, uh, I learned that Peter Sterling still has the ability to send a shiver down my spine. And as I read that, it sounds very sexual, but um, it was before <laughs> it was before the Panthers and the Eels game, and I was watching on Channel 9's coverage, and he did, like, the sort of the, the intro, the lead-up, the monologue beforehand. And it, look, it wasn't his best, and it wasn't quite as good as maybe a full Gould before Origin kind of one that I know that, Friend, you're a big fan of particularly. But, like, with the general context, you know, like, this is his last year. Uh, the Eels were probably going to get bundled out in that game. They were likely to anyway, and they, they ended up being so. He was a great Eels player. Uh, it, uh, it just, that game carried all the more gravitas uh, for that opening monologue, and it still, yeah, it did kind of, it affected me watching it and uh, and made me kind of emotional almost. So, I uh, I was actually kind of sad to see the Eels lose. They, I thought they were the better team on the night, and, uh, and they lost, and uh, I, I'm sad because for him, I guess. And in a weird kind of way, I'm kind of hoping that Eels win a premiership before he leaves this planet. Um, Friendy, what did you learn last week? Uh, I learned this week, Bo, that uh, Cameron Munster, his worst finish in the NRL is a prelim. So technically you could say third or, or I guess fourth, but yeah, we'll go with third. Um, I can't recall where I heard the stat, but it's, yeah, it's a pretty good one and it shows how good that storm system is and, and how much he contributes to it as well. So this is possibly the worst that Munster has ever done if uh, if the Panthers get the job done on Saturday. Yeah, equal. It'll be equal worst. He, he always makes the second last week of the Premiership. So it's yeah, it's pretty amazing. That's been since, I think, 2016 or 2017, something like that. So, 2015. Yeah. 2015, there you go. Yeah. So, yeah, oh. crazy start. Yeah, he's a bit of a, a human rubbit foot by the sounds of it. Kieran, what did you learn? 
Uh, Miles is going to enjoy this. Um, I've learned through him to be more cautious with my finals predictions. Um, I penciled the Panthers in for a week off this year and then to cruise past the Eels when they lost in week one um, in the first week. Uh, Whilst I was half right this week, Miles has reminded me just how much finals football really is a whole new ballgame with the Panthers facing the very real prospect of being bounced in straight sets last week. So, Miles, you are a teacher, but what did you also learn? (laughs) <laughs> well, I, I, this could almost qualify as a wild card award, really. But I learned in a, in a similar way to, to Leonardo DiCaprio in Django Unchained that there have been a lot of lies told around this dinner table tonight. <laughs> and in, <laughs> in this case, the lies are the West Tigers. Now, yesterday we were told that um, Michael Maguire was almost certainly on his last day in the job as West Tigers head coach. And then... I think probably like an hour before the board meeting that was supposed to dismiss him, we were told that the the meeting had been called off and that uh, apparently some of the the panellists or whatever you want to call them had not made their mind up yet. Fair enough. I mean, it's a a big decision to dismiss a coach. And then we all came back today and apparently he uh, miraculously somehow saved his job. Now, look, you know what? And actually, I agree with the decision personally. I, I would let Madge coach on into next season. But I think that we may have been hoodwinked here or that they may be attempting to, to pull the wool over their, our eyes. I, th- I suspect that they wanted to fire Madge and maybe they had a coach lined up and maybe they had, and they've talked to a few coaches uh, since the, the beginning of the offseason. And I think that one of those coaches was probably set to take up the role tomorrow but had a change of heart at the 12th hour when he realised just what a mistake he'd been making by signing up to be head coach of the West Tigers. He called the club up, told them, I'm not doing it, sorry. Um, uh, I haven't signed the contract yet, you know, uh, leave me out of this. And then they uh, had to cook up some sort of PR response like, oh, the, the board meeting has been called off. People are still making their mind up. And then, you know, what do you have it 12 hours later? Apparently, Matt just kept his job because, well, no one else wants it. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you, Miles. Yeah, right. So, so the theory, the theory being that they've lined up, and I, I heard the word Cameron Seraldo, the name Cameron Seraldo, yeah. being thrown around. The Panthers' assistant coach, brief uh, caretaker coach, when they got rid of Anthony Griffin. Um, so you, yeah, like obviously, Miles, you think so, Friendy? You you agree? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think that's exactly what has happened. I think um, the sort of the rumor mill on Twitter. Um, as you said, and all the articles and everything yesterday, um, as Miles stated, it was it was all over for Madge. And generally, ninety nine point nine percent of the it's Bradman like when the media get the the scoop on a coach being sacked, they're they're already gone. So um, something's happened, and I think as Miles said, the guy who's whether it was Flanagan or Seraldo, I don't know, but I reckon they've had a change of heart, as Miles said, and and they've kept Madge. Good stuff, uh, boys. Well done, Miles. So. Miles, do you think then, and you said you agree with the decision to keep Madge anyway, uh, obviously he'd be one of the most under-pressure coaches, and if the Tigers are losing more than they're winning come, say, round eight, round ten next year, it looks unlikely that he would stay on, don't you think? Well, look, I will add a caveat that if I think if you've lost the locker room and that the players no longer listen to you, then the club does have no choice. And I'm, you know... Uh, as much as I could draw from watching that documentary, uh, it, it does it does look like the case. Um, but you know, if if they they are still behind him, in in all honesty, then I, I think he just I, I just don't see the points in firing him. You know, I, I think what you know what do you do? 
you pay him out um, the the remaining two years of his contract after he's you know waded through all the shit of turning over Ivan's roster, and you, you go out and get who? Is, is there a better coach out there to to coach the team? Is is Cameron Serraldo? You know, for all the raps he has in him, is he really going to come in and and turn the team around in a, a quicker manner than uh, Madge would anyway? If you let him coach on, and you know, there's rumours of them after coaches in England, and you know. Maybe one of them would do a good job, but Madge came from England as well, so you know who knows. It's I just don't, um, you know, I don't see a point in firing your your head coach unless a you have another brilliant replacement lined up, or b the the position is no longer tenable. And I think they, if it was no longer tenable, I think or well, they would have fired him already. Okay, great point. Uh, thanks for your learnings and thanks for your teachings of Kieran as well. Uh, let's talk about wildcard <laughs> awards. Um, Kieran, what's yours this week? Uh, I've got the the Defense Wins Games Wins Fans Award, which goes to the Panthers and Eels for their thrilling defensive battle on Saturday. Despite it being just one try apiece and the fact I don't support either team, the last 10 minutes seemed to last an age as I watched on in anxious excitement for the end result. Yeah, it was was fantastic. And um, I can't... Remind me, guys, how did the Eels... Was the Eels try also off a kick? Or was it just... I think it was, wasn't it? Off a bomb. Yep. Yeah. Yes. Edwards so, and Wonga Blake scored. That's right. So, both both tries in that game were off, off kicks. So, I think there was only one line break for the whole first half. And uh, that might have been the case until full time. I can't remember exactly. But fantastic defense. And usually an 8-6 scoreline for the average fan probably indicates a boring game. But to me, that's exhilarating. Mm. So, good call, Kieran. Uh, Friendy, what's what's your wildcard award this week? My wildcard award this week, Bo, is the Weirdo Award, and it goes to Des Hasler. Um, <laughs> if, if anyone didn't see his press conference, uh, please go back and watch it. Uh, it was mad scientist Des at his best, uh, bumbling and mumbling and fumbling his way through, um, making weird grunting noises and playing with his button and his tie and... <laughs> Yeah, it was fantastic. And, and you know what it did? It, it kept the Seagulls under the radar exactly how he likes it. So, um, yeah, it was vintage Des, and, yeah, he is a full-blown weirdo. <laughs> he, he is a full-blown weirdo. Miles, you're a full-blown weirdo. What's your wildcard award? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, <laughs> look, truth, sorry. Um, no, no, not at all. Truth is defense. Um, my wild, it doesn't have a name, but... I just want to give a, a little sort of wild card shout out to the Seagulls who are trying this week to to play off the whole chip on their shoulder uh, angle to this game. And come on, please. Come on, guys. I mean, you, you've got some of the the most highly vaunted juniors in the league. Obviously, Trebojevic and, and Jake, Tom Trebojevic and Jake came through that. you got a, a state of origin winning halfback as, as your captain who played excellently last week. you got some of the most exciting players um, on the edges in the league. Uh, Jason Saab and, and let's just say Ruben Garrick, although some might disagree. <laughs> there, there's no chip on your shoulder here. You guys have... Uh, in fact, I think that uh, the rest of the league has probably understated the Seagulls through the, the first half of the competition because they were playing so well below their talent level. But there, there's no chip on their shoulder here. They, I, I think they have uh, absolutely every chance to, to win their way through the grand final here. And, and I think there'll be plenty of people backing them to do so. Throw guys like Kieran Foran and uh, and Josh Schuster into that mix as well. Marty Tapao in the front row. Paseka is growing day by day. Like they have got a good team, and and they they're one game away from the grand final here. So uh, yeah, get off, get off your, get that chip off your shoulder, you idiots. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> okay, my <laughs> my wildcard award this week is the the King of the Harker Award, which goes to Isaac Luke. His career may have faded into relative obscurity by uh, by playing for the Wyndham Seagulls in the uh, in the entrusted a cup in Queensland here but Luke had a fine career since debuting for the Rabbitohs in 2007 rather he sadly missed out on winning a premiership after dangerously tackling his wife's cousin Sonny Bill Williams and was suspended for the grand final in 2014 but he was a key member of the World Cup winning New Zealand side of 2008 an animated and passionate character he often led the haka for his country and I specifically remember him leading the small haka when Roger Tuovasa's Sheck won the Dalian as well so he retired this week and so I just wanted to pay tribute to him and he receives the King of the Haka Award let's roll forward into some news for this week we spoke very briefly about the, uh, the well, actually a little bit about the Panthers and Eels game, which was a fantastic uh, game, one of the best games of the season, to be honest. Um, and it was somewhat marred, I think, it would be fair to say, wouldn't it, Kieran, that it it was somewhat marred by the refereeing of, of the game. Um, and that's why you've sort of thrown it on the, on the, on the list here. You mentioned the, the trainer stoppage, which now we've learned has cost that trainer $25,000 and sorry, the club $25,000 and uh, and he won't be able to be on the field for the rest of the season now, that trainer. Um, I think it's a small price to pay for the Panthers because the Eels were well hot when they, when he called that game off for what seemed like maybe a leg injury. Um, do we think the refereeing standard more broadly, I suppose, is up to standard uh, considering that we're heading into preliminary finals now that referee was Ashley Klein. Uh, I don't think he had a particularly strong game, Kieran. Um, what, what do you what do you make of of what's going on at the moment? Uh, it's been pretty poor, and um, Graham Annesley has had to come out in his uh, press conference or speech every Monday and uh, defend some of the decisions. And I think he's bent the as I said last week, he's bent the interpretation of the rules a little bit. Um, he said for I on the Ray Stone knock on in the Eels Panthers game, it was late on in the game, and I thought it was quite a big decision. I thought it was clearly at least i don't know if, if if it's the ball goes horizontally towards the ground if that has to be called a knock-on or not but i actually thought it went slightly backwards and i mm. i think yeah i i i don't know maybe the eels didn't have their uh challenge left i don't know i can't remember if it got reviewed but i thought that was a poor call and anyway annesley stood up for it and said it was the right call i i don't I think if you watched that a thousand times, I don't know how you convinced yourself once that that's gone forwards. Um, and then there was the the Mitch Moses one where he got pulled back by Jerome Luai. I think that was probably the only line break of the game, as you were saying, there weren't many. Um, but yeah, Moses got pulled back and we know how much speed he's got. Um, he could have easily been side by side with Ferguson and Edwards, the only defensive player um, to get past. That could have resulted in a game-winning try. Um, I do believe Annesley said well he must have said that that was wrong because that 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 went unpenalized because it, it was uh, quite um, obvious that it was the wrong call not to penalize Luai for that but yeah they've missed some shocking calls lately even uh, the Titans Roosters game um, the week before that there was uh, two blockers for um, I think it was Mitch Frayne coming through the line uh, and they, they clearly move in his way. Even if it's only a few centimetres, they block him and it makes all the difference so that Rain can't get to Walker in time to stop the field goal. Um, I don't know how he's defending some of the decisions. And I actually said last week that I thought he was doing a good job, but now it's finals football as well and he's 
he's really he, he is calling out some of the calls but i think you have to be 100 percent honest with yourself and he's not doing that and it's not good enough friendy last week uh you came off the back fence not so much about the uh the correctness of the call with the lost control situation with Gutherson and that drop kick, et cetera, et cetera, but more the rule. Um, I think we agree that <laughs> that the refereeing standard has not been up to scratch. Um, what do you make of the rule itself regarding the, the, the trainer situation, if I can just steer you in that direction? Because basically what happened was there was, a, there was an injury to a Panthers player. The Eels are right on the attack. They're up against a 12-man defensive line with that player in back play. And before ta- uh, conducting the initial assessment that the trainer needs to do before he can call the game off, um, or sorry, put it on pause, uh, he just basically requested immediately to the referee before making that assessment, which is why he's why he's been suspended and the club's been fined. Do you think that that rule as it is, is a good rule? Or do you think that it needs some tweak? No, the rule's poor, in my opinion. Um, I think that unless you're concussed, um, you should get your jersey in front of someone and present yourself in the defensive line. It's the contact sport. Um, whether that's you've got a broken leg or whatever, I, that might seem harsh, but that's you're out there to defend your try line. If you can't do that, well, sorry, we're going to run through that gap if we're attacking. Well, that's what I'd be trying to do. Um, so I don't think the trainer should have that authority unless someone's laying there concussed or, or can't move. Um, yeah, I, I I just think it's a it's a crap rule, and and I think the decisions recently have been really poor as well. Um, in terms of the refereeing standard, I think they it's been really poor throughout the final series. It's been poor all year, I think. They they referee at the start of the year completely black and white, and they don't mind if a penalty at the end of the game um, can decide the result. But then mm-hmm. when it comes to finals time or big games, they referee the situation, and they put their whistle in their pockets for the last, well, 10, 15. I guarantee in the grand final, it'll be about the last half an hour. Um, and it's, yeah, if any other job or occupation in the world. Um, it, it, could you imagine a doctor or a surgeon making mistakes like the refs do? Oh, they'd be sued the pants off them. Like, it's it's ridiculous. I, yeah, the standard is incredibly poor, and I don't think they've got any idea what they're doing, and I don't think Annesley's much better. You're right. Uh, you're right. A- any other job, especially high-profile jobs, like, you know, doctors, federal politicians... No, wait, hang on. Um, well... <laughs> <laughs> Um, <laughs> Miles, uh, get me away from this politics little rant that I'm about to go into. Uh, what is, what is, uh, what is your take on this? Do you, uh, you know, do you agree with the with Friendy about the trainer rule? And, and and also, are you also discontent with the with the standard of refereeing that we're receiving? Um, look, I I I got to disagree with with Friendy on this one. I think that. Um, Look, if the player is is down, I think we've generally got a culture in the in the league where if the player is is down, it is um, it is for real and it is pretty serious. And uh, I, as I'm aware, uh, that player is not allowed to return to the field for two minutes uh, mm-hmm. if they have gone down and if the game has been stopped. So I think that's fair. I think people are really just sort of playing the rule because of when it popped up in this game and it, you know, it was all very convenient for the, uh, the, the Panthers, of course, but I, I think that Kenny is, is not playing this weekend if I've, I'm correct. Yeah. Um, yeah. so, you know, it, it has to be 
some sort of serious here. It's you know we're not they're not screwing around here. Um, so yeah, I, I personally don't have a problem with it. It's unfortunate for the yields in this case, of course. The the only way I could think of probably further de-emphasizing such gamesmanship is to maybe uh, disallow the player to be replaced even uh, until the end of the, the set or end of next set. So you know the, the team plays on with twelve. If they want to stop the game for. You know, 90 seconds or whatever it may be. But apart from that, I think it's one of those rules that you can't legislate out of the game. Yeah, it's an interesting one because I think, um, Friendy, I think you're speaking to, like, the spirit of rugby league and you're Josh Morris, you get up and you make that tackle again. Paul Bowman did the same thing in State of Origin for Queensland. It's you get up yeah. and you make those repeat efforts for your mates, for your team, for your state, for your club, for your country. Uh, but, Miles, I think you're coming from more the analytical or the more, like, even like liability angle of well rugby leagues at its core has to be run like a business and if you've got the health and safety of your employees on the national stage and uh you know there's there's an injury and it is a legitimate injury in this particular case blake ferguson's obviously also a legitimate injury where he was claiming the crusher tackle and then sprung up like he broke broke, (laughs) uh, like broke a speed record for movement after the whistle went. Um, <laughs> he, um, you know, obviously that was legitimate. So um, I guess what I don't want to see is I don't want to see the Blake Ferguson's of the world in that particular case stopping play, shutting down momentum because they're bunging it on. But I also don't want to see the Mitch Kenny's of the world getting punished for his situation. Well- They've also fined Penrith $25,000 as well. So they've admitted basically what they're saying is they've exploited the rule. So is the rule wrong or a Penrith wrong in this situation? Because if I was Penrith, I'd do the same thing to stop the play because that's got them into a prelim this week. Well, yes. Yeah, so, either Kenny's hurt or he's not, right? So exactly. I'm, not, so, I'm, not playing, uh, I'm not playing the man here. I'm playing the NRL. Like, mm. is was Kenny hurt and therefore needed to be attended to or was he, he not hurt and the Panthers have pulled him from the team to basically the safe face, which seems ridiculous. Yeah, I, I think he's he was genuinely hurt, but does that that's what I mean. Does that mean the rule is wrong where the trainer can stop it is what I was saying. I, I, I think the rule is crap. I, yeah. I don't think they should yeah. be able to stop it. Clearly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if and, you, it, no, go on, sorry. No, I am just saying, well, that's basically they've exploited that rule um, which, as I said, I, I would do that too. If, if it was Newcastle, I'd hope they'd do the same thing because if that gets you to a prelim final, potentially a premiership in the end, um, I, why wouldn't you do it? 25000 drop in the ocean. You get much more from that for winning a premiership, marketing, etc. So, yeah. Kieran, I, I just, I'd like to take your take on this. Um, do you agree that the rule is, is incorrect or... Should the should, like according to the rule, the trainer should have done an assessment on the player. Is it an injury significant enough that, it, that the game has to be called off? What he what he's done is he's seen a player down and called to the referee immediately. Now the referee has to take that seriously because for all the referee knows, the the, the guy could be having a seizure in back play or or something like that. Um, the referee can't have his eyes on every single player, so. You know, I, I can understand from the referee's point of view that going along with the trainer here, the trainer has been found to do the wrong thing. It's because of the lack of assessment that was taken out. Uh, to speak to Miles's point, the reason that's there is for those really dangerous situations where there's a player prone in the middle of play. Mitch Kenny had a leg injury in the background. He mm. wasn't in any direct yep. threat. So, 
uh, Kieran, I guess, yeah, what, where do you land? You've touched on exactly what I was thinking. He was in the background um, and it was his leg. It wasn't a seizure kind of incident. I'm not going to downplay the injury. I'm sure it is serious, but the play, the Eels had the ball. Um, I think worst, at least you have to let Eels play out their set whilst they're on the try line. And then if the Panthers get the ball, they can signal to the ref that they want to stop the play because their teammate's down injured. I, I think that that should kind of be the the rule. I, I know in soccer, it's it's very different because if the ball is, is in the opponent's box, there's still a lot of defenders around. It's a, a lot less goals are scored in soccer, I guess. So it's a, a bit of a different dynamic. But uh, if a player goes down injured and it looks like it's legitimate, which is not very often in soccer, but um, uh, usually one of the teams will kick the ball out of play and they'll stop the play. And, and teams the teams actually amicably kind of agree to stop the, the, the game. I think uh, that you wouldn't employ the same thing here, but I think, yeah, you at least let the Eels play out their set um, whilst they're attacking. They're going, they're running the other way. They're not running towards Kenny. So I don't really, I'm not in agreement with the rule. I, I am all for player safety. And if the Panthers caught an intercept and streaked away and they were in the path of Kenny, he could have got more seriously injured, but uh, surely you just run around him and it's pretty much a non-factor. Okay, guys, thanks so much for your thoughts on that issue. Let's get into some season reviews. So, we've had four teams that have been eliminated from finals thus far. It's the Roosters, Eels, Knights, and the Titans. And as we did a couple of weeks ago, we're going to do some season reviews about those, starting with a word to describe their season. So, Miles, in one word, how are the Roosters this year? I've gone with incredible. Good call. Good call. I agree. Incredible. Uh, I went with inspiring, personally. Uh, Kieran, who did, how did you land on that one? Spirited. Spirited, yes, good call. Friendy? Resilient. Yeah, I think we all landed on a very similar uh, kind of vibe for our uh, for our uh, descriptions there. And what went wrong for the Roosters this year? Well, I think it's pretty obvious what went wrong for the Roosters this year. Poor coaching. Uh, no, obviously, the uh, the injuries they endured, uh, including the mid-season retirements of Boyd Cordner, Jake Friend, Brett Morris, and the almost all-season injury to Luke Keary, plus a host of forwards, including Lindsay Collins and backs, including the other, Morai, Josh, and uh, and Joy Manu. So, w- with that amount of injuries, it was, as, as you say, Miles, incredible that they, they, they got to fifth, and it was their spirit and resilience that got them there. So, thank you for all those words to help me out there, guys. Um, in terms of shining lights, I think their, their best and most consistent players were James Tedesco and Angus Crichton, but I think a shining light amongst the darkness was the brightness emanating from Sam Walker as we look into his future. I think if the Roosters can lock in on him for a while, uh, they've got a potential premiership winning halfback in Sam Walker uh, once he sort of tightens up a few areas of his game. And as for their future chances, they, ha- they haven't done much in the in the marketplace, um, but I think they are a top six team still. When they get Luke Keary back, he shores up their spine nicely, most likely partnering with Sam Walker. They have focused on the retention of a number of young players who got maybe a little more first grade, uh, first, for, more first grade than they thought they were going to get this year, but injuries sort of happened. So the, the likes of Fletcher Baker and Egan Butcher, they got a lot of first grade and they've been re-signed because of their efforts. Uh, and in terms of the, at the marketplace, they've only signed Connor Watson um, on what is believed to be a good value signing for the Chooks. So uh, with arguably the best player in the world in James Tedesco, 
one of the top three coaches in the competition. It's hard to see them not challenging for the top four again, I would say. Um, and I would be shocked if I didn't have consensus on that. So let's roll forward to the next team, the team that came sixth. They were knocked out by the Panthers on Saturday. It is the Eels. Friendy, what is your word to describe the Eels season? I sort of cheated. It's a bit more than one word, but I went Groundhog Day. Mm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, Kieran, what's yours? Uh, I have enough, enough because of how close they got to advancing to a prelim, but enough of not progressing past week two. Yeah, they've been sick of that, right? Um, mine is stalled. Like, it just feels like their progress hasn't kicked on the way they would have hoped, I suppose. Miles, what's your word? Well, I had disappointing, but it was for um, much of the same reason that you had stalled, Bo. Um, I thought they saw improvement from um, up and down their roster, to be honest, in the, the backs and the forwards. Um, but look, in the halves, that growth uh, seemed a bit more stunted than perhaps the club anticipated, I think. Uh, obviously, Mitchell Moses, so he's his first state of origin birth this season. Um, that said, it was only through injury. Um, and, and during the rest of the season, he, he didn't quite... I think uh, kick on as as many of the other good playmakers in the league did. He, he's still the same, same sort of streaky half that he was earlier in his career, where his ability to create a try seems to only present itself um, when there's a lapse in the defence, rather than him creating that lapse himself. Um, and of course, his younger halves partner Dylan Brown, who I admittedly was was quite high on preseason. He he didn't quick quite kick on at all. I thought um, as expected. Um, and that's, um, that, that's despite plenty of opportunity, especially in the last game of the season. They went to him a lot, I thought, in the last 10 minutes, which was interesting. Um, he sort of failed to show the, the potential game-winning half that I thought he might have had in, in him. So, you know, who knows, maybe next season. Um, but, oh, look, obviously losing Reed Marnie as well for, for large stretches of the season didn't help. Um, and I think we can, um, we can only really hope that his sort of injury-affected year doesn't pop up again in the future. But, yeah, there are a few reasons there. Um but I thought that the Eels blew a really good chance this season because they they do have a lot of players coming off contract and a lot of them that are on good deals right now. So you just wonder if they'll have um, quite the same opportunity that they had this year with some of their uh, better players locked down on smaller deals. Do you uh, do you think that the Eels would consider this an okay result? Coming sixth, uh, all things considered, considering how strong the Storm and the Panthers are, etc. Do you think they're happy with where they're at? No, um, I think if anything, the end of the season and how how good they were in the last maybe five six weeks of the the year would have them quite disappointed with how they didn't propel themselves to a, a better uh, seating uh, through the first half of the year. Um, you, you see that the Seagulls took advantage big time of, of how well they clicked early on and they, they managed to jump up into quite an advantageous spot. Um, I think the Eels probably would have thought they had that in them as well, but they, they just couldn't quite put together the, the runner wins that the Seagulls did. And I think if the Eels had finished in fourth, it could have been uh, a different path that you know, maybe not through the Panthers um, and they could have maybe ended up in a game um, like the preliminary final or maybe even the grand final. Yeah, like, like the Seagulls and the Rabbitohs are about to find out. Like, exactly, yep. Um, they weren't expected to make the grand final, but one of them will. Um, do you think, like Friendy said earlier, that he thinks that they're missing one genuine superstar? Um, Miles, do you, do you agree with that assessment that 
they haven't gone to the marketplace thus far. They've only really lost Joey Lusick to Super League. They haven't bought anyone. They haven't lost anyone else. Uh, so they're pretty happy with the roster. It would seem. Do you, do you think they're a superstar short? Well, that said, there's no there's no superstars going this off season as well. So um, there is that. But look, it, it is an interesting. Se- and we sort of touched on this uh, a few weeks ago. I remember for the Eels, but. There, there is no friendly's right. There is no bona fide superstar, and I think the club probably thought between Brown and Moses, one of them would kick on in a big way this season, um, and that didn't happen. As I said, uh, Gutherson, you know whether you want to call him a superstar or not, I'm not going to uh, label him with that. Just gives you performances instead of Origin, um, and then Marnie as well. That's the other probably potential qualifier for that tag, and he was out for most of the year, and I don't think even if he had to play. He probably wouldn't quite hit the the heights of um, a, a quote unquote superstar. So, you know, you, you can maybe even with how ordinary Moses and Brown were this year, you could you could still see one of them kicking on next year and maybe going to that superstar level. Maybe uh, Marnie, obviously a big chance if he, he stays healthy. So, it, it could still be in their future. It's just um, it, it'll have to come from within the roster because there's no. There's no like last off season, or I think it was maybe the off season before that. We saw Latron Mitchell. He was he was on the move. Um, Harry Grant, um, went, of course, went back home from the the Tigers to the Storm last off season. This set off season, I can't really see there being a, a big jumble in terms of the superstars. So they they may have to deal with what they got in house. The Roosters do have Dale Copley and Matt Ikevalu off contract. Uh, do they qualify for the <laughs> superstar tag? <laughs> Matt Ikevalu scored a number of tries against the Cowboys in that one game. I'll have you know. Um, look, they could they could bring in either of those guys as fantastic um, back depth, but you know potentially we were talking off air. Um, some of their their young juniors, um, in particular the backs, Will Penasini, Jacob Arthur, I thought was good. They could play a bigger role next year, and you know it's it's going to be difficult for them to get a look in because they're not um, they're not typical first team regulars, I think you'd say, uh, especially Arthur, who will have to force his way into the halves. But who knows? You know, you, you never know what happens in rugby league. Um, one of them could pop up in the in the team as a regular next year, and they could explode. I thought Penasini and Dunster were particularly impressive on Saturday. Dunster, uh, well, I knew I was picking one. Yep, Dunster. Yeah, he, he was really, really good. Thanks for that, Miles. Excellent work. The next team is the Knights, who came seventh. They were knocked out by the Eels in the previous round of finals. The word that I've got for them is expected. I expected them to come out seventh, and they duly delivered. Miles, what's your word for the Knights? I had wanting. I, I thought that... You know, you look at the roster on paper and it, it looks like a roster that could potentially contend for the top four, but the the cohesion just didn't seem to be there. And, of course, a lot of their players were hurt for long stretches of the year as well, which doesn't help. Yeah, of course. Kieran, what's what's your word? Yeah, I had inadequate and a, a little bit of the same as Miles. A little unlucky once again with injuries, but with the addition of Frizzell this year, I, I think they would have wanted to at least go into week two of the finals. Friendy, uh, you're a, a Knights fan. What's What's the word you've gone for? I've got inconsistent, Bo. Um, I think it was a very inconsistent year. As the guys have mentioned, um, the injuries played a big part in that. I think that's where it went wrong, uh, mainly in our star player, Mr. Kalen Ponga. He, he missed about 10 or 11 games from a sore groin, which um, I'm sure he could have fixed if he got off Tinder. 
Um, <laughs> it'd be yeah, it'd be like sh- shooting fish in a barrel for him up in Newcastle, like I thought. Um, and yeah, so I think we need him on the paddock for majority of the year if we're to do anything. Uh, the shining lights for me were uh, Jaden Braley. I thought he was a he became a real leader at the club this year. I thought um, basically his first full season as he was he did his ACL the year before. So him and along with Mitchell Barnett, uh, he he was a big shining light for me as well. A bit of a fan of um, Barney. I think in for future uh, for future signs or or hopefully future successes um, to take that next step, we really just need to have our spine. I think we've got really got something there with Ponga, Clifford, Pierce, Braley. I think Clifford was a huge acquisition for us. Um, been really impressed with him. Um, he was probably another shining light too, really. Um, but I also think we need to stop rewarding players, uh, and particularly some of our re-signings. We seem to hold them to a different standard because basically they're hopeless um, in Kurtman and Lockie Fitzgibbon, but because they have a dig, um, they seem to get picked every week. I, I think... Adam O'Brien really needs to look at um, getting really top-level first graders in our 17 every week because we seem to have about 10, 11, 12 of them, but the rest of the squad is made up by basically triers. Um, so, yeah, that's sort of the, the next step for us in yeah, rounding out our squad with top-line talent across the 17. Do you, do you think that if I promised Adam O'Brien that I'd give it a red hot crack at the age of 34 next year. Do you reckon he'd give me a couple hundred <laughs> grand a year? Well, it seems to be the way, doesn't it? He, he must have his favourites because uh, look, Kurt Mann's stats this year, like, not even just the, the eye test that we talk about, um, <laughs> he, literally he, he averages just over an error a game. Um, he had about two try assists and three tries or something like that. His tackle um, uh, success is 89% or something like that. His stats are not good. So I I don't understand, especially an outside back making more than an error a game. I I don't understand how you're picking someone like that. Um, It's just costing you in big moments and in big games. And we're not going to go to the next level if you keep re-signing guys like that. It's just beyond me. What do you make of the recruitment? Um, so, basically, the only players they brought in are Adam Clune, who I imagine will be a depth half, as you mentioned, Pierce yep. and Clifford showing some good signs there. Um, Dane Gagai, now you're not going to put him at left centre because that's where Bradman Best is. Mm-hmm. That probably fixes your Kurt Mann problem at right centre. Um, yep. But obviously, the loss of Connor Watson as well um, sort of offsets any positives there, I would have thought. Yeah, the, lo- the loss of um, Connor is a really big one, not just on the field, but he was, he's Kalen Ponga's best mate. He's his housemate. He did all the cooking in the house, so he kept Kalen's diet well in check. Apparently, he's quite a good cook. Um, and Connor actually is quite professional off the field from what I've heard in terms of training. and di- So he's qu- probably a quite a good influence on someone like Kalen. So I would have thought you're trying to keep him as best you can. Um even if that is offering him a little bit more to in turn keep your star player happy and on track. Because I think, I really do think Kalen, um, as talented he is on the field, I think he has a real potential to, um, yeah, to maybe get up to some mischief off the field. I don't think we've seen that yet. I think he's, he's hidden things quite well. Um, but I think there's the potential there that, yeah, maybe things might go wrong. I really hope they don't, but I would have tried to keep Connor. Um, and the other signings, 
I mean, yeah, it depends how much we're paying. Gagai, yes, he's an origin player, but he doesn't play like that at club level. So, um, And Clune is a depth signing, as you said. So, yeah, much or muchness. Okay, so, yeah, probably going to be hovering around a, a similar kind of position next year then, 7th, 8th, until things get better? It would seem that way, yeah. Potentially, I mean, if Kalen and Mitchell Pearce stay on the field for 20 of the 25 games, potentially we could get up to 5th or something like that, maybe. But um, given recent history, that seems unlikely. Mm, yeah, I, I tend to agree with that assessment. And and the last... Thanks for that, Friendy. The last team is the Gold Coast Titans. They snuck into 8th position at the very last... Uh, second last game, rather, of, of the regular season. And then were just bundled out by the Roosters in the 5th versus 8th elimination final, where uh, Patrick Herbert passes the ball and they're in the second week of the semis, probably. So, uh, what's what's one word, Friendy, to describe the Titans' season? I've got upwards. <laughs> Certainly in that sort of trajectory, yes. Uh, Miles, what's yours? I've got optimistic. Yeah, okay, cool. Uh, I've got fickle. To describe their season, I just got kind of like, yeah, it felt like they could go real hot or real cold, and it would just be for bizarre reasons. So I've got fickle, Kieran. What's what's the word you've got? Yeah, I landed a bit closer to you, but I had par. Um, I think it's just a pass. They very nearly got to the second week of the final, so I think um, they haven't they hadn't made the finals in a while. Uh, I'll give them a pass mark, but I, I do think they could have been a little bit better. Um, and where it went wrong, I, I still think signing for Fida on a $1.3 million deal was wrong. Um, despite his 17 tries this season, I believe the money would have been much better spent on a half a hooker. Uh, Brandon Smith potentially could have been bought. Uh, I don't know how much you would have had to give him or the pulling power you would have had to have had. But as Friend and Mars have said, the Titans are looking like a team on the up. Maybe not so much at the start of the season. I don't know what Brandon would have been thinking. But anyway... Um, I think the halves and the hooker position is where the Titans struggled particularly. A merry-go-round season that saw Peachy, Taylor, Sexton and Fogarty all played in the halves at some point with maybe only Sexton a, a long-term option there. Um, it didn't help to build combinations, and yet the Titans' ability to score points wasn't the major issue. It was their defensive resolve, whether under pressure or not as well, which is probably most alarming uh, it just seemed to fold at any moment in um, in any game, uh, so that needs to improve most for next season. I think, I think shining lights. Um, a, a very obvious pick is undoubtedly Jaden Campbell was a brilliant inclusion for this side. Looked comfortable in first grade from his very first game, and that continued in his next six games thereafter, scoring five tries. Mm-hmm. Uh, future chances. Um, I do think that they'll be wanting to make the top eight again, regardless of whether they get that half or hooker that I just mentioned, but. They may have solved a bit of a problem there um, by blooding. Jaden Campbell, he could play fullback and then AJ could move into the halves with Sexton there. Um, that would probably be my preferred halves pairing. I don't mind Fogarty myself, but um, I think Fogarty's probably a bit on the older end. I think you um, push forward with Sexton and see how Brimson can go alongside him and then have Campbell at the back and then maybe try to get a better a better hooker. Uh, Mitch Rain's off the books now, so they've got Aaron Clark. Maybe they've got another ton of Boyd still but he's really not established himself to, um, he doesn't quite look like he's good enough um, but yeah I think top 8 is where they need to finish again next year and I think they will Do you think they're happy with 8th place? This year? Um, yeah mm, uh, 
I no, I was yeah. Most most I'm leading to much more towards no. I was almost going to say yes just because of the pass. Um, uh, once you're in the finals, I guess it doesn't really matter. Um, and they nearly got through to week two, but I think all in all, I wouldn't be particularly, oh maybe not partic- not particularly happy with the season. I just think that they, um, especially dillying and dallying around with the halves and. Um, I know AJ Brimson, one of their better players, and they got him on unders, which was very good business by them. Um, so off the field, they've done well there. But uh, I think that they would have they the team that they had, the roster they assembled, they signed Fafita on 1.3 million because they thought, I'm sure you don't just do that unless you think you've already got a decent team. I would have thought they would have liked to have pushed through to at least week two. Interesting. Uh, interesting that you me- mentioned Daniel for uh, sorry David for feeder. In basically every team of the year that I've seen thus far, he's been in it in the second row. I don't know if I'm missing anything. Friendy is he? Is he one of the top two back rowers in the game at the moment based on this year's form? No chance. No chance. Miles, what do you think? No chance. Also, no chance. Yeah, like for me, he's he's probably. I mean, he might he probably makes the top ten. I think that's pretty fair. I mean, obviously the amount of tries and things like that. Stay Kieran. tuned, guys. <laughs> yeah, like if we if Fafita misses the top ten, can you imagine? Like we would probably like they'll just burn our individual houses from the internet. Um, Kieran, does, does he make does he make your team of the year? Like, is is that? I, I didn't even want Fafita to play Origin two and three after his uh, first performance. I yeah, that's I. He arguably had the try of the season, but that's kind of like if you go on YouTube and watch him, you might think he's a brilliant player. But if you watch eighty minutes um, of him every week, you just know that he's not in probably not in the top ten, maybe in the top ten, but he's yeah, he's definitely not top two. And like, if you're going to watch eighty minutes, you're not going to watch eighty minutes of David Fafita um, because he doesn't he doesn't give you it. But um, the thing about that is, it's interesting. You mentioned they got AJ Brimson for unders, so combined, so you're looking at one point two million for those two players. That's a bit more palatable for me, but it still feels like overs given how much he's being paid. But uh, it'll be interesting to see how that affects their cap moving forward because you know, one day guys like Sexton, if he does kick on. Campbell, if he does kick on, they're going to want big money. Uh, Brimson is on pretty good uh, money. Faisal Maliawi, Ash- you know. Yeah, I, I think I already said this, but Ash Taylor's off their books, and that's. Um, I think I may have already said this, but that's a million there, so that's yeah. pretty good that they've got him off their books. Yeah, that's true. They've uh, hopefully they haven't replaced uh, a big money mistake with another big money mistake. Fabian is <laughs> doing better than Taylor, but uh, there is that problem there. And and you suspect that they'll go with Sexton instead of Fogarty, or that's just what you prefer. That's probably what I prefer on on the the form that I saw from Sexton in the few games he played. I, I do like Fogarty. I think he has a place in the seventeen um, off the bench. They just got rid of Peachy. Uh, maybe not off the bench. Actually, I don't know. I, I do like Fogarty. I think he can play first grade, but I think you're better off going with Brimson and uh, Sexton. Yeah, agreed with that. All right, guys. Thanks very much. Uh, let's get into the uh, the upcoming preliminary finals starting on Friday night from Suncorp Stadium. It's between the Rabbitohs and the Seagulls. I'm going to be there, actually, as it turns out. Uh, I'm working. I'm going to be taking a client of mine there. Um, so I twisted his arm a little bit, and he's pretty keen. So I've got myself a free ticket. Um, what we're going to do is a little bit different is, uh, Friendy, you're going to represent the Rabbitohs. So you'll be talking about their team changes and what it'll take for them to win. And Kieran, you'll be doing that for the Seagulls. So, uh, Friendy, are there any any 
any news regarding the uh, the Rabbitohs? Well, no real news. They've just got they've had the week off and they're basically unchanged. They've got a few extras in the reserve reserves, um, but yeah, as, as far as I can see, there they're yeah unchanged from their their big win over Penrith a couple of weeks ago. Kieran, a pretty similar story for the Seagulls, really, isn't it? Oh, yeah, they're one to seventeen, but I think Sean Kepi has been named on the bench the last few weeks, and he's um, started in place of Tapao. So I think that they might do that again. But otherwise, yeah, it's uh, the same as normal for Manly. Now I expect this to be a hell of a game. Uh, obviously, preliminary finals usually are. Friendy, what the what are the what are the Rabbitohs going to look at to to dismantle the Sea Eagles? Well, I've changed my tip on this game. 50,000 times, same as the other game, actually. Um, it's been, uh, yeah, uh, quite fun to think about, though. I uh, had a really good sit-down and think about it before I did some notes on the game uh, this afternoon. And firstly, I, I think there's a, a few reasons um, why South Sydney can win, and that is who I've landed on. Um, firstly, I think the, the week off is just huge at this time of year. Um, it's an absolute blessing. Secondly, Wayne is just Wayne. Um <laughs> He's a genius. Uh, this is this is his um, bread and butter finals time. This is where he, he earns his money. Um, he'll have them ready to go. I have no doubt in that. And thirdly, more sort of on the field. Uh, basically, I think it's more... We all know Souths can score points. And I think it's more about negating Manly's big threat. That's obviously Tom Trebojevic. Um, but more importantly, I think it's Tom on the left. Um, when he's with sort of four and Josh Schuster, um, and and the beneficiary of that this year mostly has been Ruben Garrick out on the wing. So mm-hmm. basically, the thing in South Sydney's favour on their right hand side, I actually think they have the best defensive decision makers, not necessarily the biggest hitmen or anything like that. But in Kalomatangi. Even Adam Reynolds, who is a smaller man, his decision-making is actually okay. It's, it's generally pretty good. Um, and the most important man out there, Campbell Graham, who I think, in my opinion, is the best defensive decision-maker out of any of the outside backs left in the competition. Um, mm. his, of all the centres left in the competition, I had a good look today, and his tackle efficiency, obviously, to sort of put in perspective his decision-making... When he does make a decision, he makes a tackle generally. It, it's 90%. It's the second highest of any centre left in the competition. It's behind Remus, Remus Smith, actually, um, who's number one. Um, yeah, so with that right-hand side, when they played Penrith in the first um, week of the finals, whose left side is known to be quite strong as well, um, between Reynolds, Kalomatangi and Campbell Graham, they went 81 from 84 tackles. Penrith didn't score down that side at all. So mm. I think that's a, that's a huge thing to take into consideration. It's either going to negate Tom out that side and, and Schuster and, and Foran and potentially make Tom try and go through the middle or try and go down the right-hand side, which, of course, he can do. He, he's a superstar, but it does take out sort of one-third of the field. So I think that's really important. And I think Adam Reynolds' kicking game, he has the best kicking game on the field um, in this game. And then I think the the brilliance of Cody Walker can create the points for them. So that's where I think South Sydney will win the game. Um, and it's more by negating the, the big threat of Tom on the left for Manly. Sounds pretty good to me. It sounds similar to what the Storm 
did to him uh, in in week one of the finals and and what the Roosters probably would have tried to do uh, by benching a guy like Sam Walker, but it just didn't work out for them. Kieran, on the the manly side of things, uh, Friendy's just spent a lot of time talking about that lethal left edge, particularly with Tom Trevojevic. Uh, Does that feature amongst your game plan at all? Um, well, I, I haven't uh, singled out Ruben Garrick specifically, but I think Manly's combination and support play is their greatest weapon. And I think it was um, most on show or arguably most on show this season against the Roosters. Um, most A lot of their tries came from a lot of combination plays involving a lot of different players. Um, last week, Manly used Turbo, so effectively putting the defense in two minds. Um, for Foran's try, it was Turbo jogging on Jake's inside, sho- inside shoulder. And then as Jake took the ball to the line, um, they kind of fell asleep on Tom because Tom was only jogging just behind Jake and it didn't look like he was going to involve himself in the play. And then he accelerates to Jake's outside shoulder, creating a gap between Marshke and Tupanua, who were both in two minds, missed their assignment. And then for Manley's very next try, DCE and Tom, uh, for DCE, Tom was used as a decoy off the scrum where um, DCE shifted from the right to the left and uh, Tom Travojevic was outside DCE and I think they either thought that DCE was going to pass to Tom or they thought DCE was going to get cut out, um, being that Tom is the main man of this team and and instead um, DCE got the ball dummied and went straight over untouched. Uh, I think, yeah, I think the combinations of on their edges as well this is really where i think manly have to uh really realize this is their and they would uh would do realize it's their greatest attacking weapon olikowatu dce um and then the speed of sab um and then with foreign and schuster on the left hand side um there's plenty of playmaking options to keep the rabbitos defense scoring um and then if it if all else fails manly just need to give the ball to their michael jordan in dce um i <laughs> I, I do expect the Seagulls to shift the ball around a lot to, de- to do test the defensive structures of the Rabbitohs, but they have to get through their sets early on without pushing pushing the pass too much or making errors. Um, if they do that, Sales have the weaponry to, to punish Manly for it, and I think that that would be quite uh, detrimental to their chances if it happens early on. So for mine, I think patience is key for Manly. And then execution when the points are on, they've got enough uh, class um, in their side for the playmakers to make the right decisions at the right time, particularly early on when the uh, fatigue hasn't set in and the, their decision-making is a bit more on point. And then I know Taft came through that test against the Panthers really well, but they've got Jackson, Polo and Taft who both haven't played a lot of first-grade footy and not a lot of finals footy either. So I think kicking on early on tackle sets to turn the rabbit pack around um, will be big and, and kicking to those two. And then DC is also one of the best 40-20 exponents in the NRL. So I think he'll be keeping an eye out for opportunities, especially with uh, Polo and Taft at the back. Thanks. Thank you for that analysis. And thank you for referencing that absolute abomination of a commercial was that was that the uh the was that manly that commissioned that i can't remember no 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 it was fox sports fox sports of the uh yeah who else um of the uh, the (laughs) oh man like comparing what cherry evans to jordan my goodness oh. like i like cherry evans as much as the next guy but that is just dog shit, <laughs> what a dog shit comparison <laughs> we don't even have a jordan in this sport i don't think we've ever had a jordan in this sport and uh <laughs> well, he's not even he's not even manly's jordan tom it's like yeah yeah, good point. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, like Dylan Walker, obviously. Um, (laughs) 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 Uh, Okay, let's do a tip. So, Friendy, you said you had the Rabbitohs. Do you think they'll get it done pretty convincingly or in a tight one? 
No, a tight game. I think it'll be. I think this will be game of the year until the next day, when I think the next one will end up being game <laughs> of the year. But we'll get to that after. And then the next week, when yeah, okay. Um, no, I, I like it. Uh, so Rabbitohs in a tight one. Kieran, do you like the Sea Eagles? You just spoke a bunch about how they could win it. Um, I will just touch on a little stat I found. It's Manly's first preliminary final since 2013. And funnily enough, they beat their opponents this Friday in the Bunnies in that game to make the grand final against the Roosters. Mm-hmm. I do side with Friendy. I think the halves is where the game's going to be won. And I think Reynolds and uh, Walker are going to be just a touch too good. So another close one for the Rabbitohs. Miles, it's, it sounds like uh, perhaps a, a battle of Wayne versus Turbo, maybe. Uh, how do you how do you see who do you see prevailing in this one? I've got the Rabbitohs by two. Yeah, yeah, I've got the Rabbitohs as well. Like you mentioned, Friendy, I think that that week um, is just so valuable. Um, it's unlikely that the Sea Eagles or the Panthers will be able to uh, pick up that that gap that that gap of advantage but we are going to talk about the storm and the panthers now and and very similar kind of setup miles you're going to take the storm i'll take the panthers miles uh are there any personnel changes for the storm uh just the one uh josh Erkar will be returning in on the wing in place of isaac lumi lumi um brandon smith cleared of uh, facial fracture following um, the the game with the Seagulls, in which he collided with Josh LIA. So, um, he will be right to play. That's a big in, isn't it? Addo Carr, a big in, and obviously Brandon Smith too. The, the big news for the Panthers is that Brian To'o has been named amongst the reserve. So, he's number 21. That means that he has some chance of returning. Um, he missed out on the game against the Eels. Brent Naden, I thought, did a pretty good job filling in. Uh, if Toto is available, he will replace Naden. As we mentioned, Mitch Kenny is out with that ankle injury. That's unfortunate for him. He's a good player. Um, but he's replaced by Tyrone, Tyrone May, and I think it's actually a good move for the Panthers. Um, I, I don't love the the two dummy half thing in the modern game, especially when you have such a good one in Api Corusau, Um, I think you actually get more value out of Tyrone May if a center goes down or a five eighth or a fullback or, or whatever. I feel like Tyrone May can fill more holes um, and he'll be able to enter the game in a more natural way. So I think it's actually probably a slight win for the Panthers in that sense. Miles, the Storm are the reigning champions. They're big game players. How are they going to beat the Panthers this week? Well, look, I think we've sort of had the a bit of the blueprint of how to beat the Panthers laid out for us the past few weeks. Um, and obviously so expertly done by, by Wayne Bennett, um, who uh, added into the doubt of the referees' minds that, you know, Maybe the Panthers using a few slightly illegal um, tendencies to, to earn Cleary a bit more time and space to make his kicks. Uh, and we sort of saw him under a lot of pressure in the grand final last year when these two teams played. So I don't expect that the Storm's tactics will waver um, any differently. From, I mean, they, they could, but in, but in um, particular when it comes to Nathan Cleary, uh, I don't think they hit their tactics will waver too much from what we've seen in the past. They'll put a, want to put a lot of pressure on him, make it clear early whether the, the Panthers are using the block formations to, to get him that space and 
if they are, you know, knowing a, a cynical Craig Bellamy team, they'll make the referee acutely aware of it, um, as Cameron Smith would. But it, obviously this time it, it won't be Cameron Smith. It'll be um, somebody else. Um, so, look, I, I don't – obviously, um, technical analysis isn't my strong point as it is you guys. Um, uh, different areas of the game, my expertise, if you can call it that. But I think that the uh, – to, to be honest – I might be being a bit brash here, but I don't think I don't see anything other than a big storm win here. I think they'll win by ten points. Um, I, I just don't think that the um, that Ivan Cleary's um, I don't think he prepares his teams for these big games quite as well as he should. And look, they were on fire last year when they made the grand final. They won. I think by then it was um, maybe seventeen in a row, was it, or something like that? Yeah. Um, Yep. Um, this year they haven't been quite as hot, especially not toward the end of the year. So I, I can see the Storm actually taking this one out by more than a few. I, I think, you know, this team is, is better than the one we saw last year, the Storm team, that is. Look, I think I think you're right. Um, and I also think you're right in the sense that the key for the Storm is shutting down Nathan Cleary because on the flip side of that, if the Panthers are going to win, so much of it rests on Nathan Cleary, particularly the way that his team particularly his forwards, were bashed by the Rabbitohs and then they were bashed even more by the Eels. Uh, and they pre- they prevailed against the Eels and it was pretty miraculous that they did, to be honest. I thought they really hung tough. And, and, and the Panthers have got a great forward pack in, in Leota, Coruscant, Fisher-Harris, Kikau, Martin, Capewell, Yeo, you know... it's a re- And, you know, Pangai Jr. off the bench as well. It's a good, good forward pack. But they're going to be busted and bruised and the storm have that weak rest. It's got to come to Cleary here. So if, if Cleary gets a fast play the ball, he's got to think run. If he gets a a moderate play the ball, he's got to be trying to get over the advantage line or get an early kick in. What I want to see is a lot of like, like you mentioned Kieran for the Seagulls. I want to see a lot of early Mm. kicks from Nathan Cleary because you don't want to give the likes of, Grant, Munster, Kenny Bromwich, Pappenhausen, Olam, Adokar linking on that left side, good ball. You don't want them spending much time down your end. You want to be playing it down their end. You want to be trying to force the errors out of their mm. players because they're not going to give you much. And the Panthers, yes, they're going to have to play some football, and that's where the likes of Luai come into it. But until that point... It's got to be on Cleary. He's got to control this game. And and there's been times where we've seen it. Origin 2, uh, 2019. He had a blinder playing with Cody Walker for the Blues. Absolute blinder. Controlled the game beautifully. But for the most part, as you mentioned, Miles, he got shut down last... There was 26-0 at that, you know, 22-0 at halftime or something like that at the grand final. Um it's he got completely shut out of the game by the storm, and yes, they are going to put pressure on him. Um, they're going to try and make him pass earlier than he wants to. They're going to they're going to make him run less than he wants to, and they're going to put pressure on his kicks. He has to he has to be the one to find that space because his forwards need him. Uh, I think Brian Toro is also very very key. Um, it is like uh, like friend of you like to say, Origin is a yardage game, and. The only thing that comes close to origin is finals football. And yardage is so important. He's probably the best in the league for yardage, particularly among backs. So he is so, so, so important. Um, for, the, for the rest of the team, it is about doing your job. 
It's about don't drop your football. It's about put your passes out in front. It's about playing direct, looking for second phase play. All the cliches for the Panthers. <laughs> We're going to need all of them. <laughs> uh, but the reality is they were beaten up by the, the Rabbitohs and lost. They were beaten up by the Eels and just won. The Storm have a week off and they're so clinical. I, I'm like you, Miles. I actually can't see this going any other way. It would be... Uh, I know this sounds strange for two to beat one when they finished equal points and all that sort of stuff, but honestly, I think this would be one of the upsets of the year if the Panthers can yeah. beat the Storm here. I really feel that way. I don't think the Storm will be by 30 or anything. I think the Panthers will make a good account in themselves, but I just think in terms of fatigue and all that sort of stuff, it would be dead set one of the one of the upsets of the year, and I think Cleary would be like you just knight the motherfucker like straight away. <laughs> Um, if, if he can pull this off. So, like, immediately, like, get get the queen out here just in case. Um, Friendy, you said it was going to be the game of the season uh, surpassing the previous game. Uh, so, where where do you land? Game of the season, upset of the season. Get Ooh, on the phone wow. to Queen Lizzie. Get her out here. Get her out here with her sword. So, I have actually lent... I've thought Melbourne since they won week one, but... I this isn't really much analysis, but I, I'm unsure if they're battled hardened, and I think Penrith are. Um, I think Melbourne have basically flogged everyone all year. They've broken all sorts of records. Um, they mainly just made so many errors in that first week of the finals. They virtually handed them that game. Um, I do have concerns if one of their big men go down, which is a big chance in this game. Um, they've only got two big guys on the bench. I know Brandon Smith, sort of Harry Grant comes on and Brandon Smith can play middle, but if either of their bench forwards in um, Kamika Mika or um, Big Nelson, if they go down, if Welch goes down, Fanukin, who seems to get knocked out every second or third week now, um, <laughs> Jesse Bromwich, if any of them go down or an edge back row goes down, they don't have anyone to fill in on the edge, really. Fanukin would be that guy who's much slower leg speed. So I'd probably be relying on some sort of injury, I guess. Um, and as Penrith have been beaten up, maybe they're the ones that will get injured. Who knows? But the one thing this season reminds me of um, and just forget about that I'm a Newcastle fan or anything like that. <laughs> You're going to say 2001, aren't you? 2001. <laughs> and Parramatta <laughs> broke every record conceivable. They were the red-hot favourites. Um, but same thing. I don't think they were battle-hardened. And Newcastle had the best player in the competition, and it was his time. It was Andrew Johns' time. I think Nathan is on the same trajectory, and I think it's his time. I think just like Newcastle in 2000, they, they butchered it against the Roosters in the semi. They were up at halftime, and um, they really should have been in that grand final that year. They came back hungrier than ever. They had their eyes on the prize the whole year, and they got to the big day, and they, they made it happen. I think... This has to be Penrith's big day. This is the game that they've had their eye on. I think it's Nathan's time and, and it's it's his team's time. So um, I'm just backing that they've got a, a big, big performance in them. And I think they've had their eyes. I've heard Phil Gould talk about it. They've had their eyes on this game all year. Um, they Everyone probably thought it would be a week later than what it is. But, yeah, I, I'm going to go the upset and I'm going to go with the Mountain Men. Um yeah, solidarity. You're like as soon as as soon as the knights were out of the competition, you took off your knight shirt, and underneath it was a was a panther <laughs> shirt with the oak milk, <laughs> the oak milk logo on the front. Um, 
Yeah, no, I respect it. And look, as I said, it, it, I think it would be the upset of the year, but I, yep. I don't think it's not going to happen. I, I, they're a high-quality side. Kieran, what do you think? Uh, well, I, I said earlier in the pod that I learned from Miles to be a bit more careful with my predictions, but I can't look past the storm. Um, yeah, I have a little bit of I don't have much else to say, but I have a little bit of a stat on uh, the minor premiers have gone on to the grand finals 16 times out of a possible 23 occasions in the NRL era. So I don't know if that's someone assigns for the Panthers or not. But yeah, I can't look past the storm. That that uh, that dumb and dumber. Jim Carrey, so you're telling me there's a chance. You know, like, um, <laughs> look, either way, I, I think you're right, Friendy, in saying that they should be a couple of absolutely cracking games. And even if the Storm do win, like you say, Miles, by, by 10 or so, uh, I still think that's going to be a red-hot game. So uh, I'm very much looking forward to these these two games. I'm only going to one of them. Um, but, yeah, I'm very much looking forward to both. Let's talk bold predictions, guys. Uh, I'll start us off. Um, my prediction is ab- about both games, essentially. I'm going for an over-under prediction. So, I think the Seagulls and Rabbitohs will be over 40 points combined between the two teams. And I think the Storm Panthers will be under 40 points combined. I think they'll be a more defense-heavy, uh, attritional kind of kind of fixture, that one. So, um, yeah, over-under 40 points. Over for the Seagulls and Rabbitohs. Under for the Storm and Panthers. Miles, what's your bold prediction this week? Well, look, I'm going to hedge my bets a little bit here. I know I tipped the Rabbitohs by two, but I'm going to say that uh, Tom Trebojevic is going to, he's not only is he going to win the Dalian medal, but he's going to score the game-winning try for the Seagulls on the weekend, and it's it's going to start in his own half. Huh. Wow, you are hedging. <laughs> that is a huge hedge. Uh, I like it, though. All right, that'll, that'll make for some good theatre. Friendy, uh, does your bold prediction revolve around the boldest of tips you just gave? Uh, yeah, it's part of it. So I've gone South and Penrith to win and both dummy halves to score. So Cook and Coruscant will get over at some stage. Does it count if Moses Leota picks it up from dummy half and crashes over? Surely, I said. I said dummy half. <laughs> Moses. Oh, you got to take that. Josh McGuire's played dummy half at, a, at an international level, so uh, Moses Leota can surely count. <laughs> Kieran, what's your bold prediction this week? Uh, I'm not sure how bold it is, but I've gone. I think a lot of people will think it's bold, but plenty could disagree. I'm going to go with uh, neither side to win by ten point more than ten points. All right, a couple of nice close games. I like the sound of that. Uh, I, I'm sure we can all get around that to some extent. It's shout-out time, guys. Uh, I want to give a shout-out. I, I was talking with my friend, uh, Daniel Lang. He's a friend of the podcast as well, um, about players of bygone eras. And I know that he's a big Panthers man, so I started talking, rattling off some names to him. And I rattled off the name Graham Mackay. And I just want to shout-out the big man. A, a few things about him. He was drafted... By the way, the, the NSWRL used to have a draft. So, he was playing in the late 80s and, the, and 1990 for the West Magpies. And they were shit house. They were an absolute rabble. And then he got <laughs> drafted to the Panthers in 1991. And they won the comp that year. Uh, so, he, that was a, a great move for Graham Mackay. A year later, he made his test debut for Australia. He scored two tries and then was never picked again. So, obviously... 
you know, didn't score enough tries. Uh, he finished his career with one test, four origins, over 200 NRL or equivalent games and about 90 in the Super League. So a big shout out to Graham Mackay. I've got a shout out to my running squad called uh, Burt in Brisbane. They've got a, a few races coming up, starting with the Wynnum Twilight Bay run this weekend. So good luck to all of them. Good luck to them. Shout out to Penrith for me. Go the mountain men. Go the mountain men. And Miles. <laughs> Well, I've got an elongated um, shout-out, as usual, um, to Green Bay Packers tailback Aaron Jones, who he was playing um, after the death of his, his father this week, so good on him. But he apparently he wore his father's ashes around his neck in some sort of um, necklace or, or chain arrangement, mm-hmm. and he, in scoring a touchdown, he lost the ashes somewhere oh. uh, at at Lambeau Field, the, the Packers' uh, home field. So there's somewhere out there. Um, his, his father's ashes. I'm going to try not to laugh, but I'm sure he's the funny side of it. But, um, yeah, there, there's somewhere out there in, in the middle of Wisconsin. Um, he, should, um, he should ask England about losing the ashes. They know all about that. Blue <laughs> 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 there, shall we? <laughs> Too good. Above the Horizontal is brought to you by the Pioneer Australia. Find them on Facebook or at www.pioneeraustralia.wordpress.com. The panellists are Miles Stedman, Kieran Gibson and Daniel Friend. And it's hosted and produced by me, Bo Nicholson.